Good morning. Well, it is a great privilege to be with you this morning. And if you want to turn in your Bibles with me, we're going to be looking at Luke 14, which is on page 873 in the Pew Bible. And as you turn, let me just say it is a real joy and privilege to be with you. There are uh, many new faces, but a few of you at least will probably remember that before we left and lived in New Zealand for five and a half years, my family and I started the REF International Ministry at Texas A&M, and your church was one of our big supporters. And so we've known many of you for years. I know many of you have prayed for us while we're in New Zealand and are praying for us now. And I've even preached here on a number of occasions in the past, so it is a real joy uh, to be back with you this morning. We have a wonderful passage of scripture to look at this morning. Luke 14, we'll read verses 1 to 24. Again, that's page 873 in the Pew Bible, and I believe it will appear on the screen as well. But before we read God's word, let me pray that he would honor both the reading and the preaching of his most holy word. Let us pray. Father, we stand amazed again this week that though we are finite and feeble and even sinful creatures, that you don't stay away from us, but you make yourself known through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through your holy, infallible word. Father, now as we read of this great true story of Jesus and what transpires at lunch on this Sabbath afternoon, yes, help us to understand, yes, help us to see what's going on in the text, but most of all, O oh God, Draw the eyes of our hearts again in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, your great son, the great servant who has come and laid down his life and got back up again, the one who has made everything ready for our salvation. Help us, O oh God, in these moments to learn more and more what it truly means to live by grace. We pray in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And hear now God's word from Luke 14. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of our Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. I'm glad I got that right. I was trying to remember how to do it. Well, a couple of weeks before we left New Zealand, I was invited to speak and teach and preach at a church camp, a New Zealand tradition where churches will go away as a church for a weekend of teaching and fellowship and whatnot. And so I went, and our son John went with me up to a beautiful place just north of Christchurch, New Zealand. And it was a lovely place near the beach. But at this camp, by the main room, they had this big bell. And when dinner was ready, they would ring the bell, signaling, of course, your food is ready, come and eat. Now you could stay outside and play mini golf or jump on the trampolines or go down to the beach and take a walk and it would be quite nice for a while but eventually if you don't come when the bell rings you would get quite hungry and you would miss out. And today's text, these series of events that unfold throughout the course of a Sabbath day afternoon, really the the main thing that's going on is God is inviting us into what he calls this great marriage supper of the Lamb, this great feast, these images that he uses to describe the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his rule and reign spreading throughout the lives of his people, spreading throughout the world. And what he wants us to see is that at, at the fundamental level, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace, 
And so Jesus has these conversations with the Pharisees. He tells a couple of stories, and he's, he's uh, cementing in our minds the dynamic of the kingdom of God, that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And see, that call, the one thing I think the text wants us to remember, come for everything is now ready, is a call of grace, but the way to receive that grace is to humble yourself before the Lord and say, I realize I don't qualify. The only reason I should be let in is because I realize I don't qualify, but I entrust myself fully and completely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect work, both dying and rising again for our salvation. And so that's really what we want to see as we jump into these series of events that unfold in Luke 14 for us this morning. Now let me just uh, catch us up in the context a little bit. In the Gospel of Luke, there's there's lots of things that happen. We learn about the Lord Jesus Christ and his life. But from chapter 9, verse 51 onwards, we have these these travel narratives, scholars call them, where Jesus is, he sets his face, it tells us in chapter 9, to go to Jerusalem. And so the rest of the Gospel of of Luke is, is recounting Jesus getting to Jerusalem, but along their way, there are, there's breaks in the travel narrative. And if you're familiar with the scriptures, you might not be surprised to learn that those breaks often come on the Sabbath day. And that's what happens here in Luke 14. And we want to take all 24 verses because this, this is the break in the travel narrative. This is a break in the journey to Jerusalem. And Jesus sits down for a meal with some Pharisees and lawyers and tells a couple of stories. And you might have already seen it's a, it's a quite interesting conversation they have around the table. Jesus is known to ask some probing questions and make things a little bit awkward at times, but it's for our good. So let's see how this unfolds. We'll look first at how Jesus talks about the guest list and the seating arrangements. Then we'll get down to the main event in verse 12, so to speak, where Jesus gets closer to that great story about the kingdom of God is like a banquet or a wedding feast. But before he gets there, he tells us of excuses that people make. But then he finally tells us that the party will go on. So let's think together about guest lists or seating arrangements. And look with me at verse 1. This whole chapter really is a setup. We're not told the details of, of why, but Jesus ends up eating lunch with some Pharisees and lawyers one Sabbath day afternoon. But we know it's a setup because who's there when Jesus walks in? It's a man with dropsy or edema, which just means he had swelling throughout his body. He probably was uh, retaining fluids. He probably didn't look very good. This would be like someone with congestive heart failure today. The fluid is retaining in his body. But he's not just a man with a medical condition here in Luke 14. According to Old Testament law, he's unclean. He shouldn't be at this lunch in the first place. He's not the kind of guy who's going to increase the reputation of the Pharisees, and they were quite concerned about their reputation. So this whole thing is a setup, and notice in verse 1, we know that, because what does it say? Jesus walks in, this man who shouldn't be there is there, and they're watching Jesus closely. And why are they watching him closely? Three times already in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has healed someone on the Sabbath, And the Pharisees are upset about that. Why would you heal someone on the Sabbath? The Pharisees think that is to break the Old Testament law. 
So you can uh, picture it in your mind. They're seated around the table. If this was modern times, they'd have at least one guy ready with the cell phone to catch it on video. So they would have evidence of what Jesus was about to do. But Jesus is setting them up too. He asks them this question. He turns the table, so to speak, and he says, which one of you having a son or an ox, even, a, even the Old Testament, even the Old Covenant allows a Sabbath provision to pull your ox out of a ditch, which one of you has a, someone who's in trouble, who's someone who needs mercy? Would you forbid them that on the Sabbath day? And they have no answer for Jesus. So that's how our Sunday afternoon lunch begins, but jump with me to verse 7. Because as I said, this conversation gets quite intriguing and a little bit awkward. Because Jesus uh, moves on from uh, asking this question they can't answer, and now he actually, he looks around the table, and he actually begins to critique their seating arrangement. Could you imagine going to someone's house and saying, I think I should be sitting there, by the way. But that's what Jesus does. And what he's noticing is that the Pharisees, the lawyers, these people who think highly of themselves, have given themselves the best seat, and this man with dropsy, and probably Jesus as well, are sitting at the end of the table, or maybe even at the children's table. And so he goes in verse 7, and he, he tells this short parable about when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't take that place of honor, sit away at the end, because if you sit next to the, uh, the, the bride and groom and you have to be moved, well, that's gonna be a shameful thing. So sit on the end, and if you're gonna be exalted, well, let the host come and exalt you. Let him bring you to this better seat. And remember that this parable, all parables are about the kingdom of God. In verse 11, this is really the theme of the text, isn't it? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, Jesus is telling a story to illustrate that point. That in the kingdom of God, if you think that you qualify, then you don't get it. Take that low seat, because that's where you are anyway in your sin. And you're only exalted through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's spiritual advice, but it is actually good social advice too. A number of years ago, I got to meet one of my theological heroes, a, a man that some of you will know, named J.I. Packer. It's a long story, but J.I. Packer is the personal friend of a PCA minister in Carrollton. Uh, he actually stayed, when he was still alive, he stayed at this man's home when he would visit the Dallas area. Well, this man's son was a student at Texas A&M when we were there. And so he called me one week and said, J.I. Packer is preaching at my church. Bring my son and you can have lunch with J.I. Packer. So that's what we did. Now, I'd heard a very memorable sermon on this story. And I'm not really one to think I deserve the best place uh, anyway. So I went to lunch after church with J.I. Packer. And he was sitting right in the middle of the table. And I sat literally on the very end. And then my friend Bill said, hey, Jason, come on, come with me. And he set me right next to J.I. Packer. See, that's what Jesus is saying. Let, let the host come and move you up. Don't exalt yourself. And see, so really the, this invitation that God is giving us throughout this text this morning, come for everything is now ready, is an invitation to humble ourselves, to see that we actually deserve nothing but the lowest seed. And if we get anything better at all, it's only because of the grace of God. Well, now look with me at verse 12, because Jesus isn't quite yet done with our seating arrangement. 
because he goes on from critiquing where they're sitting at the table to actually saying, you've gotten the guest list all wrong. And remember, this is a real lunch. They're really sitting around the table having this conversation. And Jesus goes on and he says, when you give a banquet, don't invite those who can pay you back. Don't invite that rich neighbor who, who um, is going to enhance your reputation. Don't invite just your family and friends. Invite the blind, the lame, the crippled. Those who have no resources to pay you back. And do it because you know that you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just on the last day when Jesus returns. See, in the ancient world, these, these parties, these meals would say a lot about your reputation. You had to invite the right people. You had to be around the movers and the shakers. You had to uh, impress with who your guests were. And our world isn't all that different, is it? In the business world, we network, we make the right relationships to get the promotion or to make the sale. And that's not necessarily, necessarily all wrong in the business world. But Jesus is saying that's not the way the kingdom of God works. He's turning our social norms upside down, you might say. And what he's really trying to do to these Pharisees, to those who think highly of themselves, is to say, you're no better. In fact, in your sin, which levels the playing field, you are the blind. You are the lame. You are the crippled. And see, the gospel, the kingdom of God, is not for winners who figure out life and just live well. No, the gospel is for the losers who know they have no good reason to be there except for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't begin to understand that dynamic, we don't understand the kingdom of God. Back in 2017, a lady named Sarah Cummins and her fiancé decided to call their wedding off a week before the big day. I don't know the story. I don't know why they called the wedding off, but they did. But uh, the article that I read about this, all, all that it told us is what she did afterwards. See, a week out from the wedding, they were going to lose all their money. It was about a $45,000 wedding. It would have been a nice party to be at. But re rather than just let it all go to waste, she actually still threw the, the wedding party. She still threw the reception. But instead of inviting the wedding party and all of her friends and family, she went into her city and invited all the homeless the people who never would be invited to a party like this without the generosity of the host. And see, that's the dynamic of the kingdom. Something like that is what Jesus is trying to impress upon us through these series of events here in Luke 14. But now let me ask my own probing question just for a second. When I told that story about Sarah and what she did with the wedding party, in your mind, did you think of yourself as Sarah who was helping out the homeless and those who would never be there? Or did you see, no, no, I am like that. I'm the blind, I'm the lame, I'm the crippled. See, so there is maybe an application about our, the way we show hospitality, about our social lives as the church, is how we welcome people and, and who we welcome. Don't just welcome people who will always pay us back. But the point of the story is really to get more to the heart of the issue and say, do you see that that's who you are and that you would never have a place at the table without the gracious host, God himself, who says, come, for everything is now ready. Well, we finally come back to our Sunday lunch and move on from the guest list. And in verse 15, Jesus uh, keeps uh, talking He's been telling them about who to invite to the, to the 
guest lists and things have gotten a little tense. So look with me at verse 15. One of the men sitting around the table, notice what he says. Blessed is everyone who, who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. A true statement. But what I think this man is doing is things are getting a little tense. Things are a little awkward. Jesus has just critiqued their whole social life and social structure. He's just made them realize you're supposed to see yourself as blind, lame, and crippled. And this guy just wants to change this conversation. So he says this true statement, hoping that the conversation will end. Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Can we talk about something else now, Jesus? We've all been in a meal like that, haven't we? Where there, that aunt or uncle brings up politics yet again. Your brother, your grown brother or sister has had the one too many glasses of wine. And now the Thanksgiving meal is not as peaceful as mom was hoping. And so what does grandma do? Hey, I think it's time for dessert. Let's just end this conversation. Let's move and let's shift gears. But see, Jesus won't end the conversation. Because if he ends the conversation, he's afraid that we will live in excuses and miss the kingdom of God. And that's what unfolds in this parable for us. In verse 16, the second parable that Jesus tells on this day is when he, his, his, his most, his probably the best known one of the chapter, he tells us this story about this ancient rich man who had a feast. Go and invite everybody. So he sends his servant out. And in the ancient world, this is how it would work. You send out your servant and you, you tell them, hey, in three weeks' time, there's going to be a party. They didn't have their smartphones and their Google Seems calendars. You had to give them advance notice. And so then when everything was ready, when they slaughtered the animals, when they prepared the big feast, they'd send the servant back out a second time and say, come for everything is now ready. And so this man has done that. He's, he's given the initial invitation and He's received all of the RSVPs. And everyone who said they were going to come, now the servant does that. He goes back and gives them this second invitation, say it's time for the feast, come on, over. But notice what happens. All those who were invited, all those who said, yes, I will come, what happens? They flake out. They make excuses. And we don't want to be too allegorical, but what we are supposed to see in the parable that God is the host of the feast and that the servant is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we find this imagery of feasting as an image of the kingdom of God so often in the Bible. It it really illustrates for us who God is and what he has done for us in and through his son. It, It tells us the joy we're meant to have as we live in the kingdom of God. And back in Isaiah, I'm going to say it wrong because I'm used to New Zealand, Isaiah, Isaiah, however you want to say it, 25, there's a picture of this happening, that on Mount Zion, on God's holy mountain, that one day the veil would be taken off, not just of the Jewish leaders and those who think they qualify, but all the nations of the world, and what will happen, they will come to this rich feast with the best meat and the well-aged wine. And it's a picture of what joy in the kingdom of God, this kingdom that Jesus brings, is like. But all of these people who said they will come find something better to do when it's actually time for the party. And on one level, we can kind of relate. Who hasn't been invited to a party that they regretted saying yes to? 
And if you're like me, you've probably found a reason to flake out once or twice, an excuse to not attend the party when it wasn't really an excuse. In fact, poking around online this week, I found an article, 21 Believable Excuses for When You Need to Flake Out on Plans. I'm broke. I have to get up early. My work schedule has changed. Oh, was that tonight? And I won't read all 21. But that's what these, these guys do in our parable. Because if you look at the excuses, they're not just flat out lies. They're not crazy. I have bought a field and I need to go and expect it. Of course you would go and expect a field. But when would you expect the field? Before you buy it. Not after you buy it. Yeah, hey, I've made this business transaction. I need to go make sure that the oxen are all in order. No, you make sure the oxen are in order before you finalize the business transaction. Hey, I've married a wife. And that's actually a pretty offensive image. What he's basically saying is, my honeymoon isn't over yet. I can't come to your party. As if, you know, you can never see anyone else again when you get married. And so there's a grain of truth to these uh, excuses but they're excuses nonetheless. And let's dig a little deeper. What do these excuses really center around? I think it's three things that really relate to us. It's our possessions, our work, and our relationships. And see, what happens in the parable? These guys refuse the second invitation. Why? Because my work, my possessions, my relationships seem to be better than this feast you're inviting me to. And isn't that our world today? We live for our things. Think in your mind, how often do you think about your house and the things in your house? How often are you consumed by work? How often do relationships and just keeping people happy, and that's not always bad, but how often does that determine the decisions that we make? our work, our possessions, our relationships. And what Jesus is saying is, if those things are more important, if those things look more attractive to you than this feast I'm inviting you to, then you're gonna make excuses and you're gonna miss out. And so he's saying, quit making those excuses, those God rivals, those idols that pop into our lives, even for us as Christians, and those God replacements if you're not yet a Christian. And so he said, Jesus is really digging into our hearts because he doesn't want you to miss the feast of his grace. He doesn't want you to miss out on the kingdom of God. He doesn't want you to, to miss out on the reality that the Lord Jesus Christ is better than anything else you could live for in this life. And so the story is saying, don't make excuses. All you have to do is come. And you know one of the reasons that we don't come, is that grace, which that calls a gracious cause, grace is actually kind of offensive to us fallen creatures. See, because we have the law written on our hearts, and so we're hardwired to think that we can do and that we can accomplish and we can make everything okay. Think about when you're invited to someone's house, and they very genuinely say, you, you ask the appropriate question, what can I bring? Oh, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. You just come over. What do you do on the way to the house? You stop at the store and you buy some flowers or a bottle of wine because you can't show up empty-handed. 
Jesus is saying, I don't want your bottle of wine or your flowers. And actually, that's not even going to get you into the kingdom of God. Come, I have made everything ready in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is believe. And see, if we're making excuses, what we're really doing is we're like the Pharisees. We're trying desperately to make ourselves and everyone else think that we're okay. That's why we cling to work, possessions, and relationships. But Jesus is saying, come, come, I've already made it ready for you. Come and live in grace. Well, there are many no-shows to this banquet here in Luke 14, but the party goes on. The host gets uh, angry and he sends the, the servant back out to invite the blind, the, limple, uh, the, 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 the lame, and the crippled in their city. And he brings them all in. He says, I brought them all and there is still room. So now he says, go out to the hedges and the highways and bring in many. It's a picture of the gospel spreading from Israel to the world. Go out even past the Grand Parkway, the biggest loop. Go way out even to the ends of the earth and spread this message of grace to a world full of excuses. Compel them to come in. There's an urgency to the gospel. Don't miss the feast because these excuses that are so easy to make. But as as we get near to an end, I think this text does raise one theological question. Why do some hear the good news of the gospel, and believe. And then others can hear the good news of the gospel many times and still never believe. And there's many ways we could answer the question, but to, to be a little bit theological for a minute, this idea of urge and compel to come in, it's, it's stronger than just share the gospel. It's, it's more related to that idea of the Holy Spirit call, calling us effectually to Believe. And see, what happens when when we hear the gospel, we go and we take the message of grace to a world full of excuses. They don't believe because we present it so well. That would be to be like the Pharisees. No, they believe because of the message and of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and because our God is triune, the Holy Spirit is at work to use our feeble, human, imperfect words to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ in a saving way to his elect. And now why do I say that? Not just to get theological this morning, but this whole idea of effectual calling says you are dead in your sin. You are at that lowest seat of the table. It's only the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Holy Spirit who will exalt you, who will wake you up and to make you see these things. But as that begins to happen, you begin to see that this kingdom of grace, that this feast is not something that you want to miss out on. So even that high doctrine of effectual calling, what does it mean? It means that salvation is really by grace. It means that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he says, come, for everything is now ready, he means it. It's true, and you can trust it and simply receive. See, the only qualification for the kingdom of God is to admit that you don't qualify. Now, as I say that, some of us are like the Pharisees. But there's also some of us who say, oh, I know that I don't qualify. Jason, if you knew my sin, you would never tell me I could come to this feast. But the Lord Jesus Christ looks and says, even if, you're, even if you know how dirty and ugly your sin is inside of your heart, no, your feast is for you too. See, Jesus has made everything ready for the proud Pharisee and for that person who knows that they don't measure up. And if we're honest, friends, we're usually both of those people by noon. 
And he's saying, that's what grace is. That's how salvation is so complete. Come and receive. It's like the parable in Luke 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Of the Pharisee thanking God that he's not like other men. And the tax collector who knows his sin won't even lift his eyes to heaven and beats his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so this morning, don't let your self-righteous goodness or the badness that you think could never be erased be an excuse for missing the banquet. See, Jesus died for both. And he says, come, for everything is now ready. And by faith, he's inviting you to himself and he's inviting you to this eternal banquet. What scripture calls the marriage supper of the lamb and and the way in is to humble yourselves and just simply say, Lord, I need you so much. I realize that I have no hope without your grace. And in Revelation 19, we get, we get a picture that the eternal celebration of God's grace, life with him forever will be this great party, this great feast. And we read these simple words. Blessed are those who are invited to the banquet of the Lamb. And so through all this intriguing dialogue and all these events that unfold on this Sabbath day afternoon, Scripture, God himself is saying, come, for everything is now ready. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the gospel is the good news of Christ crucified and risen. Father, help us to know that we don't contribute anything to our salvation and help us to learn to live by grace. Father, work deep humility into our hearts. Root out any and all self-confidence that we might leave this place trusting in newer and deeper and truer ways in the sufficient and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.